Hello listeners and welcome to IIT India Smart Cities podcast series. The whole idea of bringing to you this podcast series is to help ignite discussions around working towards engineering a smart living infrastructure. In today's episode, we are going to be in conversation with two eminent guests, Rakhi Chatra and Bhushan Gaukar on smart connectivity. To give you a brief background about Rakhi, Rakhi is a strategic business leader in high-tech industries with rich experience in driving strategic initiatives, transforming operations, and building partner ecosystems. She's currently working at GenPact as Vice President Merger Acquisitions for Integration. Prior to this, she was with Ericsson where she had successfully delivered multiple leadership roles across different functional areas related to strategy, merger and acquisition, consulting, business development, and product management. She's a member of the IET India's Future Tech Panel Smart City Working Group, and she leads the Smart Connectivity Track. Our next speaker guest for this episode, Bhushan, works as a senior manager with Information Services Group, a leading technology research and advisory company. He has worked in the research industry for about 15 years with focus on the chemicals, IT outsourcing, and the telecommunications vertical. So without further delay, I will begin this discussion with my first question for Rakhi. So uh, Rakhi, what is the role of connectivity beyond the obvious for smart cities when we are talking about smart connectivity? Thanks, Ajani, for asking that. Firstly, I wanted to thank you for inviting us on the call. Uh, happy to be here. Um, thank you so much for being a part of this. Just to address the question, um, when we look at connectivity, the availability of a well-designed connectivity network provides momentum not only to business, but also governance. So a robust connectivity backbone has a multiplier effect on economy, creating avenues for growth and employment. Uh, there has been a study published by ITU that states that an overall increase of 10% in fixed and mobile broadband penetration can yield an average increase of 0.8 and 1.5% in GDP. That even basic connectivity has the power to create a parallel digital economy that rides over the top of the connected network. Now, if we were to consider and look at it from a smart city perspective, we are talking about connectivity between entities. That is people to people, people to things, and things to things. So in effect, a smart city is then an intelligent and complex ecosystem that comprises of people, processes, policies, technology, and other enablers working together to deliver a set of outcomes. The ability, therefore, to seamlessly connect all these and manage and verify who and what is connected and shared while protecting the information and users is what smart connectivity is all about. It is therefore one of the highest priorities from a smart city perspective to provide a seamless layer of trusted connections. And to, do, to, to be able to support this, uh, it is important to leverage uh, connectivity to build integrated and interoperable infrastructure uh, to build an alliances of smart cities in our country. Thanks. All right. That's, that's wonderful insights on connectivity. Um, I mean, now I, I just want to move to Bhushan to ask him um, that this is a current situation that we had never foreseen before. 
in our lives when we are going through this pandemic and uh, it has taken a toll on individuals and businesses but how do you see that in the current environment of covid what do you think are the uh, areas of impact that are affecting connectivity uh first okay it's, it's quite evident that uh, you know working from home online education remote healthcare these have become like the new normal in the current situ- you know situation right. and these new ways of working is actually shifting the workloads from the corporate broadband to the residential broadband and uh, if you uh, consider the month of june where you know the schools have reopened now this is putting a further strain on the residential broadband now the mm-hmm. challenge with the residential places is that there's always resistance to installation of you know new cell phone towers and if you look uh, at the same time you know if you look at the data consumption patterns it has shot up from almost you know 270 petabytes before the pandemic uh, came to the country and right now it's around 300 petabytes per day of data that's consumed per day now what the department of telecommunications says is that you know india can handle spikes up to around 20 20% without the network going down so we are in a comfortable zone right now but in any case if we consider iot devices and sensors and all those connections that rakhi was talking about so these devices right. you know consume only a minuscule amount of data and any rapid deployment of such devices on the network will not really create any performance issues you know to uh, to a significant level but it's good to see that you know in the light of you know the current uh, spike in data consumption the way the telecommunications companies are reacting to the situation so what they've really done is they've optimized the fiber optic networks you know to handle more loads and even the government has informed streaming companies like netflix and uh, amazon and youtube to actually downgrade mm-hmm. the video quality to handle all this additional load uh the other thing that the operators are doing is that you know all the unused towers uh, there were i believe around 800 unused towers across the country and during this time about 70 uh, 730 of these have been redeployed they are made made functional again and uh, the good thing also was that the government allowed operators to carry out maintenance work during uh, during the lockdown to ensure that you know there are no disruption of services so uh, what what i can say is that you know the the situation has affected uh, us in many ways but from a connectivity standpoint india has shown how to manage this you know additional spike and how to you know deal with the situation and come out strong right right so uh, when we are talking about this um, additional load of data consumption that is happening uh, there is an aspect of data security that needs to be considered as well when we are talking about so much of data usage yes. um how how important do you think is uh, data security in connected smart cities when we are talking about it yeah that's that's a good question so if you, if you just look at the uh, the numbers that you know analyst firms are throwing out um it's it's estimated that in 2020 the number of connected devices will exceed 25 billion globally and enterprise iot devices are going to account for nearly one half of those and uh, with seamless connectivity there will be a surge you know in connected devices and also the amount of data mm-hmm. as i you know talked about in the last question that, yeah. that that's going to be transmitted through it now you know this provides some terrific business opportunities but also there is a you know there's a chance for a serious risk because it's not just personal right. data you know that flows through these networks but sometimes it can also be mission critical services such as you know transportation systems or smart grids that can get compromised and the real challenge mm-hmm. is that with every uh, iot device 
there is a potential vulnerab- vulnerability for hackers to exploit and penetrate a city's network system and additionally mm-hmm. you know the infrastructure can be uh, susceptible to also different types of uh, cyber attack techniques you know which which are commonly deployed like remote hacking or phishing or malware injections data manipulation ddos right. attacks so if you just consider there was a you know um, a global threat intelligence intelligence report that was released recently by ntd data just last month and two of the major findings that are that was quite interesting to refer to was that you know the attack volumes have increased uh, across all industries and uh, you know the hackers or adversaries are actually using innovative techniques for uh, you know exploiting uh, you know let's say applications web applications systems um, so on and so forth and what we see is that uh, 21% of you know malware that is detected is in the form of vulnerability scanners which actually uh, you know supports the premise that you know hackers are now going forward using uh, advanced techniques and automation to actually persistently attack different systems across the world now from iot standpoint what is happening is that you know since 2017 we have seen uh, this botnet called mirai which has actually uh, f- uh, you know widened its spread and uh, what has happened is uh, there have been um, uh, you know different versions or uh, reemergence of this uh, botnet in the form of iotroop and echobot which have advanced you know propagation capabilities uh, and where you know these kind of botnets have actually employed machine learning and artificial intelligence and automation capabilities so uh, you know the fact the fact is that iotroop you know remains a persistent threat and if you you know in japan alone it was responsible for you know almost 87% of all kinds of you know botnet activity that was observed in the networks so uh, from a security standpoint yes uh, there are you know uh, advanced uh, botnets that are attacking the systems but um, i think that's that's how it's going to be you know iot systems um, actually uh, iot devices actually present i mean they are um, a vulnerable vulnerable point in the you know in the system right right um so those are pretty uh, wonderful insights on uh, data security and how we can manage i would like to move to rakhi um now that uh, bhushan has given a little insight on uh, the risk and vulnerability that is uh, that people are exposed to uh, could you share your views on uh, the future crimes and what is it need that is needed to be considered when we are looking at these things sure i mean like uh, bhushan um, articulated so well uh, technology the advancement in technologies the, the on the criminal entrepreneurs are always a one step ahead and they are able to use uh and and innovate uh, probably faster than us um and and looking at the current context uh when we look consider smart cities rather than moving them out of the city icd is actually helping to extend their reach and for the helping to extend activities into the virtual space uh, it's not uh, actually far fetched to consider dedicated marketplaces emerging in the virtual world like the ones that we currently see on the darknet so it is it is a reality that we have to face and and uh, my view is that uh, to be able to address this uh, as a first step uh, it is important for us to understand the exact scope and look not only at the effects of technology 
but at the institutional effects of policy and policing. Just as an example, uh, te- to using technology such as 3D printers uh, to manufacture drugs and weapons, if that becomes readily available, then the efforts that are needed to resolve these kind of issues must be considered both in physical and virtual dimensions. So we definitely need to have a different spin on how we um, identify crimes uh, with the advancements in technology that we see coming. So in, in my view, uh, I would definitely, I definitely believe that the government needs to play a pivotal role and, and start identifying the kinds of regulation and policies that are required to be able to effectively manage and mitigate risks. Um, This would mean uh, assembling a cross-functional tiger team of sorts of experts in the area of forensics, criminology, technology, science, in tandem with law enforcement officials and and what we call as ethical hackers. It has to be this tiger team that helps us to understand and and possibly get, uh, be one step ahead um, than we are today. That's, that's one. Um, there's another very interesting uh, concept that's, um, that's floating around. Um, it, and I think it definitely calls for further investigation. It is in the area of predictive policing. Now, this is mm-hmm. being used today by different countries and is essentially a concept and practice in law, uh, in law enforcement, which is uh, centered around the use of data analytics and relevant technologies to determine uh, potential criminal activity or threats and thereby prevent crime from transpiring even before it happens. So it's something like a page out of minority report uh, where you kind of go and arrest a person or you bar a person uh, just basis of the information that you've collected. Um, Yeah, it, it can be scary, but leaving aside all the concerns that creep up related to security, privacy, biases, misuse, or even the reliability of algorithm, I still believe it's an area that is uh, worth exploring further and then um, assessing and understanding how we can um, imbibe the best part of it uh, into our uh, solution. I think the last last input for me on this would be... uh, to have a safety and sec- from a from a safety and security standpoint, a dedicated work stream that is set up where there's digit where digitization, connectivity, and privacy aspects are all discussed, and thereby sufficient regulations are put in place. All of this uh, needs to be done in tandem, and 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 I think a combined effort will help us at least to stay at par with what's going to be thrown at us as we move into the future. Right, right. Some some great views on that. And I think uh, with this, we come to an end uh, of this episode. Thank you so much, Bhushan and Rakhi, for uh, sharing your wonderful insights. And uh, we look forward to interacting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.